Hello, friends, and happy new year. Happy new year tomorrow. This is, uh, I'm recording this on New Year's Eve. Uh, the interview you're about to hear um, was recorded actually like a week ago or so. You could probably hear it in my voice. I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit sick, a little bit under the weather. That's part of the reason why it's taken me so long to get this recording out. Um, that and also this this week I um, I worked a lot, uh, forty hours at work of regular work time, and then another eighty hours this week of uh, what we call standby at my work, which is uh, being on call. And I was actually at work for a lot of those eighty hours, so that's almost five full twenty-four hour days of work that I had to be available which is probably why I'm sick. I don't know. And why am I complaining? I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining. I, I'm happy to have a good job. And, and you know what? All of this work is what allows me to uh, purchase this, the equipment for this podcast, um, pay for an expensive cancer-ridden dog, and, uh, and occasionally do things with my friends. So no reason to, uh, to complain about anything like that. Uh, and the new year's coming, which means, um, I'm going to leave this cold, this head cold behind and we'll try and leave a lot of the negativity that we uh, hold on to behind in 2018. How about that? We're going to roll, roll through to 2019 and we're going to be more progressive and more understanding of each other. And, um, and we're going to use appropriate pronouns like um i was thinking like like hemorrhoids you know like hemorrhoids don't happen to just men it happens to to all sexes on on the spectrum so uh why not call them themroids uh them theroids it would be a good one or herpes uh that's just the patriarchy trying to make us think that only women uh can cause such a horrible uh, mutation to our genitals, um, uh, you know, with the the warts and the the herps. And uh, why don't we call them their piece? Uh, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna move on to 2019, and we're gonna use appropriate pronouns. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make this recording very long because I really don't feel well, but um. I don't have much going on in the world of comedy. Once I feel better, I'm going to go out and hit up uh, some mics and try and get some spots and hopefully uh, let you guys know about that. Um, but as of right now, I'm just kind of cruising and uh, actually getting a little bit of writing done, which is which is exciting in itself. Uh, this podcast is, that I recorded um, last week or so ago uh, is with a friend of mine uh, from high school, uh, whose name is Brian Hample, and Brian is a Army veteran and a very cool guy. It's interesting that he is an Army veteran, uh, considering he was very uh, into Marxism or communism or socialism, uh, whatever you would like to call it, back in high school. And he actually dabbles a little bit uh, into that in this interview. Um, and then he goes on to talk about his Army career um, and a lot of different things that he did in the army that I actually didn't even know existed, which is uh, cool to hear during this interview. And uh, later on, about halfway through the episode, he starts to go into his new, newly founded 
security consulting firm, which is really cool. He trains businesses and schools and, you know, just places uh, that are contained in buildings or areas and uh, teaches them how to be more secure. Um, And, you know, from shootings to just accidents to um, lighting, he goes into all of it. And it's really, uh, it sounds like a really awesome business. Uh, You should definitely check him out at HampleSecurityConsulting.com. Brian Hample is the one that you're going to be hearing on the interview who is the vice president. Really, really smart guy, down to earth, has a lot of great insight. I really enjoy talking to him. Uh, So without further ado, here is Brian Hample. (laughs) Record an hour live. This is it. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's, Very cool. Is it as exciting as you thought it'd be? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cool. I think that like uh, throwing the headphones on just kind of makes it feel intimate, like um, like you're actually having a conversation, which doesn't really happen yeah. anymore. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe hold it just a little bit closer. Sorry. Uh, I no normally worries. um I normally have like a microphone stand, so it's just like right in front of you, but um, we're we're gonna ha- we have to hold them. Yeah, no, it's Today. okay. Yeah. yeah, no, this is pretty a uh, pretty fancy feel. So actually, this is pretty fun. Cool. <laughs> I've never yeah. done anything like this. So yeah, thanks yeah. for the opportunity. <laughs> oh, dude, thanks for coming You're on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I definitely uh, I remember thinking when you announced that you were uh, setting up your security consult consulting thing um, that that would be a really cool thing to discuss on a podcast, and that was like a few years ago now. Yeah. So um, I'm just glad that it came to fruition. Yeah. 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 Me too. Um, so, uh, your military or, uh, Marines army, army, army. Okay. Yeah. I know. I listened to one of your other podcasts and one of your other buddies was, a was a former Marine mm-hmm. or prior Marine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, Aiden. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. a really cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, do you know, uh, have you seen any of the vet TV stuff that he was talking about? No, chance? I know that there are a handful of shows on that, you know, kind of spotlight vets and, you know, allow them to, you know, do their thing, but I haven't really paid attention. Oh uh, yeah. It seems like a cool one. I have a, um, an actor friend who, um, I think was army. Um, and now he's trying to get into acting, um, after getting out of the army and he's been doing a lot with uh, vet TV. It seems, it seems pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know that a lot of guys, you know, there's a, a huge push of guys getting out and guys trying to find their way, you right. know, find their niche, you know, find their place in the real world. Yeah. They it's gotta get be out. hard. And, uh, and so you get, so you get a lot of guys getting into the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. um, a lot of guys getting into retail, you know, uh, you know, post nine 11, there's just been this huge surge of, you know, military clothing lines. Oh you know, yeah. Like nine line apparel and grunt style and yeah, uh, it's Ranger kind of up and all these cool stuff. It's kind of getting to the point where, um, I like, I almost worry about, um, there being too many, like, are, is somebody just trying to capitalize on the, you know, the momentum or the uh, popularity of it? Yeah. So it's like, I, I try and, um, uh, stick with the ones that like my, uh, veteran friends kind of know are, are good. Absolutely. Some, you do see a lot of that out there now, you know, and it's like, yeah. and, and some of that's to be expected, you know, there's, there's an element of people that just, you know, appreciate and want to, 
you know, show their support. Right. And then there's people that want to capitalize off of the, yeah. uh, you know, how much Americans support their military these days. Yeah. You know, and so the way I see it, it's, you know, it's just a good opportunity for mm-hmm. guys to get out and, like I said, find their place in the real world on the on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, and so how long were you in uh, the Army? Um, I have been in for 15 years now. Oh, you're still in? I'm still reserve. Oh, okay. Um, my journey... Uh, was I enlisted September 7th, 2001. Okay. September wow. September 7th, 2001. Wow. Um, I was still a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. Um, and then... That's crazy. I didn't know that... <clears throat> I don't think I knew that you enlisted. <coughs> yeah, I mean, there was, I was a... I was in high school with you. <laughs> yeah, there was a... Well, you know, it's funny. I was, I was on the way over here, I was kind of thinking about the, you know, the, the journey mm-hmm. and... You know, when you and I went to high school together, I, my wife likes to make fun of me and my kids make fun of me even way more. But hey, you know what? I own it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I had 15 Rage Against the Machine t-shirts. <laughs> I actually, uh, I know? was planning on talking to you about this because I knew you were really in, into that. And I remember seeing the Che Guevara shirts. Oh, yeah. No, and I, all that kind I, of I, stuff. I, so. uh, I did the whole nine, man. I, you know, I bought, I, you know, I, I bought into it. Um, I did. And, uh. And it's actually funny because I, I studied it so much that I felt like I really understood a lot of what they were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what they were talking about. And it was funny because whenever they played the, uh, they, they played a concert across the street from the Democratic National Convention back in 98. Right. Is that the one where they, uh, and, and riots started? Yeah. And they were like, uh, on a rooftop. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, I, and I remember telling my mom that, you know, they played across the street from the Democratic National Convention. And I remember her being surprised. But I didn't understand why at the time I was, you know, I just didn't get it. But, you know, I understand why now that might be a little bit surprising. Right. But, um, you know, at the time it was just I, I, I was so into the Rage Against the Machine thing and I bought into it and I, I loved it. You know, I still love their music. Um, but Great then I music. Had a, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I had a, a rare moment of clarity as a senior in high school where I realized that I had wasted 12 years for the better, you know, for the better part. You know, I hadn't mm-hmm. really done school. I never took it, taken it seriously. And like I said, a rare moment of clarity when I realized that I was about to graduate. Maybe <laughs> I hadn't done well enough to go to college, yeah. you know, and I, maybe I'd get into, you know, COS on uh, Mooney. Um, but even if I did, I knew that for the next couple of years, I'd be wasting my time, my parents' money. Right. And so, like I said, you know, like, like a total godsend, like I just, I walked into the, you know, army recruiter's office Honestly, because it used to be over there on a, in a Chuck E. Cheese parking lot and where I parked, the army recruiter's office was the closest one. You know, the uh-huh. Marines, and the Navy were a little bit farther down the hallway. Oh, so, so that's, the how, army you, that's how you chose? Just the first one I walked into, <laughs> <That's funny. clears throat> you know, and I didn't know anything about the army. I didn't know yeah. anything about the jobs. I didn't know anything about what they did. And I remember walking in and asking the guy, you know, uh, well, do you have police? Do you, uh, you have like a police policeman? And, you know, the recruiter says, yeah, we got that. I say, can I do that? He says, sure. Have your mom sign here. <laughs> I, was, I was 17. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I went to go get my mom's permission with the recruiter. And she said, it's not infantry, right? And I was like, no, it's not infantry. She says, okay, well, I'll sign. Um, and then uh, I was assigned to the, I went through basic training at Fort Leonard Wood. Um, and then I went through jump school, which is, you know, where they teach us how to jump out of airplanes mm-hmm. at Fort Benning. And then I was assigned to the 82nd Airborne's military police company, the 82nd MP company in late 2002. Um, 
It was funny. So things, things moved pretty fast there then, huh? It went really fast. Yeah. I, uh, because September to 2001 to, what'd you say, May? Do yeah, you? late. I actually got to Fort Bragg, North Carolina in maybe December of 02. Okay. December of 02. Um, and it was funny because as soon as I got there, you know, there's a, there's a place where you go. It's called a replacement. It's a place where all the 82nd Airborne folks that are assigned there just show up and then your unit will send representatives to kind of come pick you up and okay. take you to wherever you're going. And these guys showed up and they asked me, you know, keep in mind, I've been in the army for like a month at this time, right? <laughs> like I, I'm, just, I'm still wet behind the ears, you know, <laughs> I don't have any rank on me at all. Um, and these guys walk in, turns out later it was my uh, first sergeant and a platoon sergeant, some enlisted guys at my company. And they said, uh, what's your overboot size and what's your pro mask? You know, your gas mask size. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. And, uh, and, they, and they look at me and they go, that guy will do. So they pick me out of a line of like 10 guys. They pick me out and they take me to this, uh, to this platoon. Well, that platoon was getting ready to deploy to Operation Iraqi Freedom 1 oh, for shit. the invasion of 03. Wow. So, and I found out later that the only reason I got picked to go be part of that invasion with the 82nd when we invaded in 03 was because a guy had just left the platoon and they already had his desert combat uniform. They already had his oh. uniforms. And I was the closest one out of those 10 folks <laughs> that looked like they would actually fit those uniforms. So wow. I got picked because the uniforms they had back at the barracks <laughs> would most likely fit me. Oh, shit. That's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, so I did a year over in Iraq. Um, we, we, we did a, for the invasion, we did enemy prisoner of war. Uh, for, we call them forward EPW cages. So as the infantry guys move the front line forward, we are half a mile behind them and we pick up enemy prisoners of war that they capture. We process them, okay. kick them back. And then as the front moves forward, me, we move forward with the front. So we just kind of kept moving up. Um, and then when things calmed down and we finally got to Baghdad, um, I ended up being a part of a, uh, protective service de or protective detail for our brigade commander. And that's how we finished off the tour. Um, I came back in, uh, beginning of 04. Um, and then my wife, you know, Cassie, mm -hmm. you know, Cassie, um, we had been friends all through all through high school, you know? Right. Um, we kind of hung in the same circles, but she was way too cool for me. Yeah. You know, super, super I felt, pretty. I felt the same way. Dude, yeah, yeah. She was way too cool for me. <laughs> like I, uh, <laughs> it's funny because, uh, I was always intimidated by her and then like, it wasn't until, well, kind of that comedy show I did when she kind of really reached out and was mm -hmm. being like super cool. And uh, then I was like, wow, she's like, not the intimidating person I thought she was, you know? No, yeah, no, she's, she's rad. Yeah. Um, but you know, funny how like you can be this insecure high school guy and things are just com completely different. You know, it's all about perspective. Yeah. 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 yeah it's absolutely the way it was yeah. actually. Um, <clears throat> when we, uh, it was funny the way, uh, the way I really reached out to Cassie cause we started, um, snail mailing each other when I was in Iraq, my uh, first tour. Wow. Okay. How did, yeah. how did that come about? It's funny. So my, uh, Cassie had just been accepted into the radio city Rockettes. Oh, so right. So the okay. Fresno B, I believe did this whole, you know, kind of half page on, on Cass where she's in, you know, she's doing this little dancer pose, you know, and she's in this little, 
you know, hot little black, you know, leather out, you know, <laughs> yeah. number. And she's sitting there on the front cover. And so my mom cuts this article out and sends it to me overseas. You know, it says, hey, look what one of your friends did. Now, keep in mind, I've been overseas in combat for like six months, right? <laughs> so, and I get this picture, yeah, get right? And, oh, and my jaw just dropped. And I actually, I, I took that picture and I p- taped it on the inside of my Humvee window. Um, and I started, we started mailing, uh, mailing each other. And I didn't have her email address at the time. And internet was really difficult back in 03, especially overseas. It was a Yeah, very, it was still kind of new anyway, right? Yeah. Mean, yeah. And it was still super hit and miss. Um, but I actually reached out to her dad, Mike, um, and asked for, you know, her contact information so I could start talking to her. And then we just started writing letters to each other. And that's kind of where things really picked up was this old, old school, nice. you know, it's going to take six weeks between letters, you know, just, yeah. you know, cause it's got to get from middle East back to America and then yeah. back over here. So, um, when, when I got back from Iraq, you know, we met and, you know, we really just hit things off, you know? We had a really good, strong foundation and, you know, being friends for so long that, you know, when that romance kind of blossomed out of it, it was, it was super, super cool. Yeah. Thing. And then I went back to North Carolina, you know, after I got home for leave and eventually, you know, I brought her all the way over to North Carolina. You know, she packed up her little Saturn, like the Beverly Hillbillies and drove <laughs> from Visalia. Wow. All the way over to North wow, Carolina. That's really to, cool. To, to what a cool story. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, that's like a that's like a really old school story. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it was really really cool. Um, and we were so young at the time. You know, we were nineteen. Mm-hmm. We were nineteen at the time when we decided to do all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And um, so then we ended up uh, we ended up getting married. Um, and then I went back for my second tour in late '04. So you know there was a lot happened in those first couple of years. Yeah. Um, I went back with the 82nd um, to Iraq in '04. Did a couple months up in uh, Mosul, which is the northern part of Iraq. Okay. Um, and then after that, we decided, my wife and I decided that uh, we wanted to kind of take a knee and catch our breath because these tours were just, they were just yeah. back to back, you know. And then so I got stationed at uh, Fort Huachuca in Arizona. So we moved over to Arizona. And then I got out of the, uh, after a couple of years there, I decided to get out of the army. You know, I want to try my hand at the civilian thing. Um, but on my way out, while I was getting out of the army, one of the things you have to do is talk to like a National Guard reserves recruiter so <laughs> i talked to this uh, national guard uh, you know california national guard uh, recruiter and i was and i asked him well what is what, what's it all about you know what do you do and he says oh man it's just it's barbecue and beer and <laughs> yeah it's really chill and i was like oh, i could yeah. do that he's a salesman <laughs> i could do barbecue and beer right i mean he's gonna say yeah. no to that but when I, when I actually got to my unit, it's a completely different story. You know, post 9-11 National Guard is very different than pre-9-11 National Guard. So there wasn't a lot of barbecue and beer. It was, uh-huh. You know, it was actually, it was, it was work and it was a great experience. But um, after I got out of the active duty, I spent seven years in the California National Guard as military police. Um, and then after doing that for a while, the last year and a half, I switched over to the reserves. Um, and so I've been, that's where I'm at now Okay. as reserves. I, I switched jobs from military police to civil affairs. So that's what I'm doing now. Cool. You know, in a very lo- big nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is uh what is civil affairs? What is that? A I get that term? a lot. So, um, civil affairs, the best way to kind of understand it is it is a liaison between the civilian population and a battlefield commander. Okay. Um, the army learned as early as, you know, the battle of 1812, 
that the civilian population can have a significant impact to the positive or the negative on military operations. Mm. So one of the things you want to be able to do is work with the civilian population okay. to make sure that they're happy, you know, make sure you're not yeah. because causing unnecessary and undue stress and un unnecessary damage and all this bad stuff on a civilian population that for all intents and purposes is neutral possibly, mm -hmm you know, is bad because right, then they can right. turn around and end up working for the bad guy. Yeah. You don't want that to happen, you know? So that's what we try to do is, you know, if something bad happens to some civilians or their property, we work with them to try to make it better, you okay. know, to let them know that, Hey, we're not just, you know, kind of thumbing our noses. Yeah. Um, and so we work with that to make that relationship better. And, yeah. and the, uh, what okay. I like about it is there's a lot of non-combat related applications. And so mm -hmm. we do a lot of humanitarian missions whenever, big earthquakes, big hurricanes, big disasters, you know, uh, hit, any, cool. hit anywhere in the world, they, they'll deploy us out there to help work with the civilians on the ground to see what they need. You know, if, if their water plants are destroyed, we can help them be that mm. in between to get their services back up and running. Oh, that's so, cool. That's gotta be really cool rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty that's cool, cool thing. Yeah. That's not something, uh, I, I don't think people, uh, think of that when they think of army or, um, you know, wars or things like that, you know, yeah. I, I think, uh, and I would, th I would put myself in, in this position too, uh, of, of like the thought is we go in, blow places up and then leave. But to hear like, you know, something like that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's funny because I've been in, when I switched over to civil affairs, I had been in the army for 14 years. I had, I had never heard of them. I, I didn't know what they did, oh, wow. you know, but I knew they were out there, but I didn't know what they were just like, and I had to ask the same thing, you know, when, when my buddy told me, you know, to come over to civil affairs. I asked the exact same question. Well, what do they do? <laughs> and you know, so, and he explained it to me and I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. So yeah. I wanted to go give it a try. That is cool. But I've been in 15 years. I'll ride these last five years out and hang the hat up. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've done a lot. You're still young. Yeah. You've done a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so now that leads you to, uh, you've, recently opened up um, a security con uh, consulting firm? Yeah, yeah. Um, so after I got out of the active duty, I did a, I worked a couple years as a campus supervisor here in Visalia. I worked at a couple of the junior highs. And so that allowed me to kind of see, um, you know, be on campus and see how things go. Um, and then at right around that time, I, had, I was finishing up my master's degree in terrorism and counterterrorism. Um, and then I got picked up at the Department of Veterans Affairs in Fresno as a police officer. Um, and it was a great experience um, being able to be a federal police officer up there. You know, a lot of great guys, great department. Um, I was able to be their terrorism liaison officer, which just meant taking information that was coming down from fusion centers and kind of passing it on to my fellow officers. Um, and a couple, three, three years ago, my dad retired from the Border Patrol. Um, oh, that's right. I think I knew that he, um, I think even back in high school, I knew that your dad was border patrol. Yeah. 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 He, he's been doing yeah. it for a while and he absolutely yeah. loved it. You know, mm -hmm. you know, you know, pull I don't think I know your dad, but I just kind of remember you talking about it. Yeah. So, I don't yeah. know if you would. Yeah. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't um, know him for any reason, but, but you know, it's, you know, it's funny, pull a string and he'll, he'll spend an hour talking about all the stories and he's got some pretty cool stories, but, yeah, um, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, he ended up, uh, he was, a. Uh, the deputy commander for a while for the border patrol search trauma and rescue team for the whole U S it's a Borstar. star. It's one of their two special units. Um, and then he ended up moving, um, 
out to San Diego and he, and he ended up finishing his stint, um, out down there at San Diego sector. Um, and we were talking because, you know, at, at that point, you know, there had been a lot of school shootings, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of church shootings, the mall. I mean, it was just, it was, it felt like every other month, you know, yeah. it was just something bad was happening. And he and I were talking a couple of years ago about all the training that, that we've, you know, that, that I've had different training that, that he's had. And, you know, we were talking that between the two of us, we have a lot of information that would be really beneficial just to pass on to our civilian counterparts, you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, a you may, it's better to know it and not need it than need it and not know oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so we, we got this idea going and it, we just started talking about it and that's where the idea was, uh, kind of born was this, you know, he, you know, he and I to step off and start our own company and provide these, uh, consulting services to schools or, uh, any organizations that, you know, wanted, yeah. you know, a little help. And so that's what we did. Um, 2016, Okay. Yeah. Beginning of 2016. This seems about right. Um, we started uh, our own company, Hample Security Consulting, yeah. um, and we do uh, we do a lot of really cool things. Um, we do active shooter training for civilians, um, and it's really we really try to get into the nitty gritty on you know what you are supposed to do. Right. And we put a lot of emphasis on the first three to five minutes, um, and we try to get people. We try to incorporate as much of our training into the civilian training as we can, you know, law enforcement and military, you know, because we have a lot of these in the military and law enforcement, we have a lot of uh, sayings, you know, little adages, mm-hmm. you know, like the whole train as you fight is, is a big one in the army. Train right. as you fight, you know, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, if you're going to train, you know, halfway, then when it comes time to perform, you're just going to perform halfway. You know what I mean? Right. So we try to make the training as realistic and as intense and almost stress evoking as possible. And that's two reasons, you know, uh, one is that if you're ever, God forbid, in one of these situations, it's going to be very stressful. Yeah. You want to be able to deal to, with the stress, right? You yeah. know, to, <laughs> to, you know, to put it as lightly as possible, it's going to be very stressful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we try to allow people to train in, you know, and have a little bit of that stress, but in a safe controlled environment mm-hmm. so that they can learn that they can make good decisions, right. you know, while under that stress. And not to freeze up, you mm-hmm. know, that to, to do something. Yeah. Um, and so we, uh, we, we try to incorporate that as much as possible. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, one of the other things that we offer is a campus supervisor training. Um, cause one of the things I noticed is that a lot of the, uh, uh, campus supervisors, they have, it, it's kind of a site local or, uh, you know, a very specific or site, I'm sorry, site specific like duties. You know, okay. And they have generally some across the board, some general truths. But when it comes down to it, you know, like this site has you, you, you do this, this site, you do this. And so incorporating my time as a security guard, police officer, military police, I created a training program for campus supervisors to go through and kind of give them a, a, a deeper knowledge and skill set to be able to do their job, you know, a little better. Um, and from all the from the times I've done it, you know, some things are new, some things people do without having ever articulated them before, but now they just see it on screen. And so it's, okay. it's validating in a way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things that my dad really introduced that is, you know, fantastic. It's been a, you know, a big, a big hit is what we call traumatic first aid because we offer CPR certifications, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and so, you know, and part of the red cross CPR is, you know, putting on a bandage, right. Right. You know, if you yeah. get a paper cut, here's how to 
put a yeah, band aid on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, but one of the things that we do because he was in in his in Borstar, he was a uh, a medic, and so he's gone through a lot of tactical medical training. Oh, okay. A lot of really intense medical stuff. Um, and I've been through combat lifesavers a handful of times. And so medical piece is something they really train in on us because if something bad happens, the first thing they teach you is you need to, you should be able to fix yourself up. Mm -hmm. And then once you fix yourself up, you fix other people up. Um, and especially with all the shootings and all the, you know, catastrophes that have happened in the States over the last couple of years. Um, one of the things we really try to tell people is that, um, you can bleed out from a good femoral or arterial bleed, you know, mm -hmm. from the arm or from the leg yeah, within a few minutes, yeah. two minutes. Yeah. You can be done. Yeah. Um, but if you, you can put on a tourniquet properly in about 45 seconds. Right. Right. And so what, you know, the, the, the takeaway from that is, is that if you know how to put on a tourniquet, know how it works, know where to put it, you can save someone's life right off the bat yeah absolutely and so we have our tra uh, traumatic first aid because it's first aid but it's it's a more traumatic and, yeah and it's funny because the uh whenever we talk to clients we always we try to encourage them ask for volunteers you know what i mean <laughs> yeah because this isn't for everybody right right it's not you know because this 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 class i mean it's not over the top you know i mean it's not overboard we're not yeah. shooting red you know kool-aid at everybody in your face while you're doing this stuff i mean it's, it's, it's we, definitely not for everybody it's though it's definitely yeah. not for everybody because i've been in groups of you know uh, administrators or people that are kind of um stakeholders in what we're doing and i start mentioning this class and the things that we talk about and you can see the color run from some people's faces as soon as we mention yeah just the thought blood. of it yeah and so we encourage people to say hey look ask for volunteers people that want to do this Mm -hmm. people that you know are interested in this yeah um and so we usually get those folks that will come you know take this class um <clears throat> that sounds like an awesome class actually yeah it is yeah. it's, it's a do you do you teach uh like improvised tourniquets or mm -hmm. do you okay oh That's yeah cool. like belts and whatever absolutely yeah, yeah we uh we know that not everyone is going to have a fancy tourniquet right you know right. on yeah. them yeah um almost nobody oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 many people <laughs> yeah um but, uh, yeah, you know, once we teach the actual, you know, tourniquet and, you know, how it works, um, we do have a whole portion of the class that's dedicated to uh, impromptu tourniquets, okay. you know, how you can use a seatbelt or a belt or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. And so, you know, once you understand the basics of how it works, then you can you can turn darn near anything within reason, you know, yeah. in, into a tourniquet yeah, to save sure. someone's life. Yeah. You know, and that's one of those things like we kind of said a few minutes ago is um, I would rather know how to put on a tourniquet and just pray that I never ever have to use it and be perfectly happy. Yeah. Never ever having to use those skills. Yeah. That, uh, I have. that brings a level of comfort to your life that you like, I think most people probably don't even think about, you know, like just like having a little bit of extra knowledge. I, I feel like you just be a little bit more confident in anything you do, yeah, even absolutely. subconsciously, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, 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 uh, we tell a lot of clients that it's not just, it's not just for active shooters, you know, it's not just for, you know, like a rampage. Mm -hmm. uh, I always say, if you have kids, think about, you know, an accident at the house, mm -hmm. you know, they fall off something or something falls on them and all of a sudden there's a significant bleed, you know, it has nothing to do with an active shooter. It's just, you know, kids can be rambunctious, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, <laughs> I'll say yeah. that lightly, you know, they, they, they yeah, can be yeah. pretty chaotic. Or for a lot of people, you know, when I was uh, up at Fresno and I was driving to the VA three, four days a week, I spent a lot of time on the 99. Dude, the 99 is frightening. I remember um, 
let's see, I think I was 20. I was like not that far out of high school driving on the 99 and a truck with a, a dirt bike in the back of it rolled in front of me all of a sudden. And I, I almost hit it. I was like maybe three feet, like missed it by like three feet. Maybe it was like yeah. really scary. And then I, uh, uh, you know, jumped out, the truck was on its side and I, I had to jump on the, the side of it, open the door, help the guys out. One of them's bleeding from his head. It was pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, the ninety nine's horrible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and that's and that's one of the things that, you know that we also talk to people about. It's like, look, the, this traumatic first aid. It's not just for active shooters and patching up bullet holes. Although we do talk about that, but yeah. but all the real world applications you're much more likely to mm-hmm. see. Like if you spend a lot of time on the ninety nine, you know, it's funny you say that because I I think the speed limit seventy five. Yeah, maybe seventy. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. Somewhere in there. But I'll tell yeah, you, yeah. if you're not going 85, you better be in the slow lane. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, it's funny. And the lanes aren't very big either. It's it's a scary. Yeah. It's like a racetrack. It is. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah. An, an uncontrolled racetrack. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And so that's one of those things that we tell me, hey, you know, there are real world applications to this. You know, the, the, uh, the chances of being an active shooter are about the same as winning the lottery. Right. You know, but the chances that you are a yourself in a car accident or are near a car accident when it happens, I think most people can relate to that at least once or twice mm-hmm. in their life, you know, where they were that person in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to talk about that. Yeah. Um, we do a, uh, physical security assessments. Um, and that's, that, that's my big thing. I, you know, I love the physical, se- uh, security aspect of security, you know? Um, and I take for granted some, some things that people may not know that they don't know. Like lighting, locks, uh, fences, windows, you know, kind of just stuff like that. You know, I say, uh, you know, with these new lights out, you know, if you switch these lights out, it's better lighting and it saves electricity. So right. you may pay a little bit more now, but you're going to save on replacing these light bulbs because they go out faster and it's going to save you electricity on the power bill. So, um, um, and, and things like that, that's just, um, so you can recognize like if somebody is doing something fishy like that's the idea behind lighting or is there something else to it no yeah no no you're absolutely right um well it was funny there's two reasons one is bad guys don't like the light Mm, you know what i mean darkness is a bad guy's playground right right um but the other thing is is like in my in my house we have these kind of fancy incandescent lights in the living room so it's a nice you know relaxing aura you know glow but the lighting's very uh yellow and so we had this cup. It was a mug. And my wife, Cass, my wife Cassie says, uh, this is a blue mug. And, I, and I, I squint at it, and I'm like, no, nah, that's green. It's, it's, a, it's forest green. She's like, no, it's blue. And I'm like, nope, a, that, whole that is dress, green. The internet dress situation <laughs> exactly. going on here. Yeah. And so we, you know, we, it was funny because we kind of banter back and forth for a second. And then we go into the kitchen that has a much better um, you know, HD LED light. And she was right. <laughs> you can edit that part out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah know, I but she was right. You yeah. know, it, it was blue, but the lighting changed the coloring uh, okay. of the of the mug. And so, one of the things we talk about is for security cameras and identification. You know, if you're trying to uh, you know tell the police that someone broke into a car, and you're like, it's a dude with a yellow shirt. Right. Okay. Turn, or it's a, it's a guy with a beige shirt or a green shirt. Okay. But it it was a completely different color. It's just the actual lighting appeared to change the color so now the police are looking for Got a guy it. in a yellow shirt when the guy in a white shirt walks by waving at him 
that's know? yeah that's interesting that's not uh yeah that's not something i would have thought of that's cool yeah so you know we you know and that's just kind of one of those things you know like people don't know what they don't know and so i try to um when we talk about the consulting thing and it's been and it's been a uh, confusing because we don't actually do security guards it's not um, it's not uh, in our wheelhouse, but um, we just try to be their consultants. Mm-hmm. You know, we usually will we'll hire on for a year or a semester, whatever the case may be. And then whenever, and we'll do all the work for them. And then whenever they have questions, um, they just call us up and ask them or we'll go out and we do uh, emergency drill evaluations. So like lockdown drills. Okay. You know, one of the things that used to drive me nuts, um, and I think we probably see this across the board at a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of organizations. They have lockdown drills, mm-hmm. and it's a it's in a binder. You know, they're required to do a drill twice a year, and so they put out an email. Hey, just so you guys know, today at two o'clock we're going to do this drill, and then they everyone kind of meanders out. Everyone pats themselves on the back how good they were able to get out of the building. They go back in it's and like then super half-assed and super like half-assed. relaxed and yeah. Um, and what we try to do is go in there and, and change that up. Yeah. Bring so a level of stress to it, right? Bring like a level of stress about. to it. Yeah. And uh, it's funny cause I go to a couple of my schools that, that I work with and there's always a couple ladies that I, I walk in and as soon as they see me and I'll be wearing like this, you know, right now I'm in a t-shirt and, and jeans and I'll walk in to go get my kids from school or I'm, I'm going to see someone and they see me and their eyes just get wide and they, they will say to me, Brian, just seeing you, freaks me out <laughs> and i don't know how to take that yeah probably yeah probably poorly i'll take it poorly yeah. you're like okay well I, I'm yeah not trying to i mean do that. But yeah it's hard to argue you <laughs> it's know hard to argue yeah um but uh you know that's what we try to do is you know we try to take that um complacency out and so we we uh, we change it up you know we uh we have this scenario this time or this scenario this time or we'll do a bomb threat this time or um you know, we always try to change it up so mm-hmm. that our my hope is is that as we go through that if there's ever a an emergency they've already had a chance to think about it yeah you know that's one of our big uh one of the things we try to push is that we would rather you kind of go through those all the uncomfortable what ifs right now yeah while absolutely. you're safe you know think about it you don't have to spend all day obsessing about it mm-hmm. you know and we tell people i don't want people to be paranoid i just want you to be aware yeah you know like think about it Come up with a you know a few plans, put them you know file them away in the back, mm-hmm. so that if there's ever an emergency, you can access them. Instead of an emergency happens, your adrenaline's through the roof, your heart rate, your heart's in your throat, your hands are shaking, you're panicked, and now you're having to come up with a good plan. Right. Yeah. You there's know? and there's um there's a few well only one thing I can think of specifically, but um because uh, we've had to go through drills. At, I work at a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, I remember one of the security guys at our um, uh, at one of our meetings was talking about how when he takes his kids out to eat, he uh, he'll sit down. They'll be having dinner, and then like towards the end of the dinner, he'll ask them where all, all the exits are, mm-hmm. and if they can't name where all the exits are, they have to pay for their own food. Oh snap! And uh, that's intense. Yeah. So, but uh, like after he said that, I kind of find myself when I go into buildings now, like looking just kind of automatically so like yeah i think i would think that like if you were to kind of go through scenarios over and over go uh maybe you're actually subconsciously just you know going through all these little things yeah. without stressing you out it's just kind of happening you yeah know? absolutely yeah. yeah and it um it's funny during my uh during my active shooter class i uh i, I usually say i have a little um i have a darn thing memorized at this point but i usually say you know i'm not an interesting person you know, I'm, I'm really not. Yeah. If, if I pick my average, average week, you know, I'm not on vacation, I'm not doing anything fancy, just an average week. I probably go to 
six places, right? My mm-hmm. whole life on an average week, which is most weeks out of the year, right? Yeah. It's probably like six places. My house, the gym, the gas station that's closest to my house, or the, the gas station that's between my house and, and work, uh, the Target that's closest to my house, <laughs> the grocery store that's closest to my house, right. um, CVS, church. Yeah. Okay, seven. So yeah. seven, seven places. I think that's probably how most people live, too. Yeah. Um, and so I, I always tell people, it's like, hey, look, if you spend the majority of your life at one of seven places, you should know that place pretty well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So CVS and Walgreens, a lot of those places, their checkout counters are right at the entrance. One way in, one way out, and the cash register is right there at your entrance and exit. So oh. I always think, like, hey, if someone's going to come rob the CVS, where and they're going to try to come take cash, where are they going to be? They're going to be at your exit. Yeah. So if you're in the store, they're blocking your only exit. It's good to know that there are other ways out of that building, you know, through the staff uh, or through the storage area or just so you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I tell to, you know, try to tell people it's like you don't have to be obsessive about it. I, right. I, I don't want people to be paranoid, but just know that if you're spending the majority of your life in one of seven places, know where there's the other way, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I kind of just <laughs> find that those those kinds of thinking about those kinds of things just like interesting, you know, like uh, just walking into a building and just like knowing kind of like, Oh, there's, that's the storage. This is what happens back there. I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, like knowing how things work is yeah. just kind of an interest of mine anyway. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, plus it'll give you an opportunity to see what the storage room looks like at CVS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What happens um, back there? Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, you know, we just, uh, my dad and I just, decided that we really wanted to just kind of take a lot of the skills and knowledge that mm-hmm. we had gained over, you know, his 20 years of board patrol and my 15 years as military and federal law enforcement and just give it back. Yeah. Just push it, you That's know, awesome. give it, you know, try and to it's doing well. Like yeah. people are taking to it pretty well. Yeah. The, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it has been, um, a lot of our clients have been word of mouth. You know, mm-hmm. people will attend one of our trainings and then they'll go tell someone else. And then that's how we're picking up a lot of clients, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's been very well received. Um, like I said, we uh, we try to spend the time with with the with, with the clients, to, you know, and all their employees to really work with them to try, to try to answer as many questions as they you know as they can because everyone's situation is different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's hard to put out a cookie cutter, you know, active shooter response plan. Right. You know, that's mm-hmm. in a three quarter inch binder. They give it to the new guy and say, "Here you go, read this." When you're done, sign the sheet saying that you've read it. <laughs> Who actually reads that? You know, right, you're, just, yeah. you're like, okay, yeah, I read it. Here you go. Yeah. Right. And so we really try to get people to kind of, you know, step out of their comfort zone because for a lot of people, it's a very uncomfortable thought. Yeah. And and, and, I, and, I, and rightfully so, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, that's a total normal reaction for that to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I so. think, um, I think the big, um, big thing is like, I don't, it's gotten to the point where people don't want to talk about it at all from I think the angle that you're coming from or your business is coming from it's just like the focus is on guns you know Mm -hmm. I like the fact that um that you you guys are like taking active steps and showing people how to like take care of themselves yeah in a situation like that you know it's it's a nice uh it's a it's a breath of fresh air from the just screaming about guns kind of conversation that everybody has yeah, know. you know, and the way I look at it is that, and I'm sure some folks would agree with me and some folks would disagree with me, but in the three minutes, you know, that you're in that emergency, the politics goes away. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, it's all about survival, mm-hmm. you know, and we can, 
Monday or, you know, armchair quarterback, you know, the, the whys later. Yeah. But for us, it's, it's those first couple minutes. Yeah. Survive. And then we can talk about it later, but yeah. let's really focus on getting you out alive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's really important. You have any opinions on like why these kind of shootings are happening or do you want to just, do you want to avoid those? Um, I happen to agree with, um, you, there are some news folks that are coming out now and refusing to name them. Yeah. I like that one a lot. They just, they won't yeah. even say their name. Yeah. The, um, uh, Ben Shapiro's company is the big one. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Ben Shapiro, but, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I think that's, I think honestly, you know, you, you, we could talk about lots of different things, whether it's access to guns, mental health, and all right. those are, those are all big issues. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I would never downplay the significance of those, but turning someone into a celebrity, yeah. giving them notoriety and infamy. I mean, well, and that's, and it's proven, right? There are actual studies done that it, like where that's a, that's a fact that that actually is impacting like the amount of shootings that are happening. I think just being able to refer to him or less frequently her as the shooter, right? you know, or the perpetrator, you yeah, know, and yeah. just let that person go away mm-hmm. into the dustbin of history yeah. and never let them know who they are. Yeah. Um, because the last thing the last thing you want is a bunch of, you know, disillusioned, mentally ill people running around. I, you know, turning, you know, some of these shooters into idols, which a lot of them did. Right. A lot of them will, will specifically reference Columbine mm-hmm. as their heroes. And they studied them, what they did right, what they did wrong and want to emulate that. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing we can do now to turn back the clock about, you know, how that was, you know, one of the most prominent school shootings in America. And it, and it changed Columbine changed the police response paradigm across, across the board. Everything changed after Columbine. Um, but you know, not giving them the notoriety I think is, I think is a huge thing. Yeah. It's letting people know that if you do this, you will not become famous. Yeah. No and, one's going to know who you are. And that's interesting know? because that's not political at all either. You know? Yeah. That is apolitical. It's like what, like it's, it's frustrating that that's not like, you know, a, on the forefront of, of ideas to help try and reduce like these things happening. So. Yeah. But it's hard, you know I mean? And especially in this, and it, I think it would be almost impossible to be mm-hmm. quite honest, yeah. you know, for, for the person's identity not to get out. Yeah. You know, especially the, social media and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I mean, it's great that, you know, Shapiro doesn't mention them and I respect that wholly, mm-hmm. but every other major news organization does. Yeah. So, and even if, it, you know, if you can get picked up or got picked up on all the major news networks, they just all got together and said, Hey, no, we're just not going to mention them. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd still have f- 5 million people tweeting because the one kid who was there knew who he was right. tweeted out his name and now it's got yeah. a reach of 500 million people viral. Yeah. So, so. you know, it, it's all, you know, you know, and I completely agree. And, you know, maybe even doing that, maybe that's a good first step, but yeah, trying to make sure these people don't live in infamy is yeah, absolutely. probably my yeah. biggest thing. Yeah. I heard, um, a discussion one time too that like uh blasting um like having the news story constantly on the tv to just um there's a lot of kids who uh don't even realize that like performing an act like that is even an option so it's kind of like because you know you're young and you're just but like once you see it like somebody else has done it then it's like an option in your mind yeah um i think that's another aspect of it too but yeah absolutely yeah you know, and it's, it's one of those, um, 
you know, and I, and I, I've talked to my dad about this and it's a mentally for me, it's a struggle, you know? And, and so, you know, most days I love my job. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I, you know, I love doing, I do. I love working with people. I love talking about, you know, these things and I love trying to help people. I love training. I love teaching. You know, I love what I do. Um, but it's, it's a hard pill to swallow for me is that when I do see something happen on TV yeah. and I realize that somewhere across the States, there's been another one of these emergencies or catastrophes. Yeah. It, it, my, my stomach always kind of drops because I realize that my phone's going to start ringing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so one of the things I always said I would never do is capitalize off of tragedy. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. And so, you know, we try, you know, we try to really emphasize being proactive instead of reactive you know, and, yeah. and across the board, yeah. Um, you know, because uh, it, it, the way I look at it, there's all of your pre-tragedy training and assessments. So working with your staff on uh, traumatic first aid and your physical security and getting everyone all spun up, and then there's your tragedy training. You know, your event training, mm-hmm. which is where we, the active shooter training comes in, and then there's the post or post-emergency training. You know, uh, the first aid. Uh, you know, um, incident command system, which is uh, something that um, came out um, in its uh, infancy, came out back in the 70s, but now is uh, part of a post 9 11. Um, it came out, and now all major um, law enforcement and fire organizations across the states use what's called um, the incident command system. And it, all mm. it is is a way to manage emergencies. And so, you know, I work with my clients on their own incident command system so that when fire and when police show up, they can integrate their emergency management seamlessly uh, into the police. Yeah, that's another management. another thing I wouldn't have thought about. Like, you, you almost just think like, you know, call the police and then your job's done. But yeah, there's you, yeah, there's uh, a lot that could be done to kind of yeah make it a smooth um i don't know if transitions the word but just kind of help them do their job yeah Yeah. because one of the things that you know that that uh that that happens is in in any emergency someone's going to be in charge of managing it even if it's just for 10 minutes whether it's Mm -hmm. a principal whether it's a security uh supervisor someone's going to be in charge of managing that emergency and then depending on the size of the emergency someone else may come in and take over the management and so that person who was originally in charge will have to debrief and explain yeah. what's going on. Like hand, hand off. You know, the, yeah, like, yeah, like a handoff. Yeah. Um, but if police department A is using 10 codes and school district person, you know, managing an emergency doesn't speak in 10 codes, uh, they don't have the same radio frequencies. They're not speaking the same language. That, you know, yeah. integration is going to be hard. Okay. And so we, we try to just get the uh, our clients on the same wavelength as the local law enforcement so when they show up there's no hiccups you know different agencies using um different equipment blah blah Um, and it just wastes wastes time whenever minutes count so yeah but that's really cool there's a lot of uh information i wouldn't have, have thought about which is kind of why i wanted to do this anyway um and uh i really appreciate your the um the way you approach the conversation too it's really nice it's um not down your throat, uh, political opinions and things like that, which is, I actually find, uh, with military, like Aiden, um, for instance, like, uh, a lot of, uh, military that I, that I've talked to have seemed to have a really good head on their shoulders and like a really good perspective. They come at things with a, a perspective that kind of integrates like 
uh, multiple sides of like the political spectrum and, and, uh, it's more about being sensible than it is about like being right. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny cause I know that earlier on in the show, I, you know, I'd mentioned that I was a huge Rage Against the Machine fan, you know? Right. Right. I, I, I wanted to be a socialist revolutionary when I was in high school. You yeah. Know? I, I studied, you know, I studied yeah. Che Guevara. I studied the the communist manifesto. Like I, I was into it, man. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, I don't it's hold easy those. to fall into that trap. I've I've started to go down that road too when I was in my twenties. You know, and, yeah, it, yeah, it's super easy because it sounds like such a great idea. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I held on to those beliefs even for the first couple of years I was in the army. Um, it was funny. I had a uh, I came. I was nineteen, twenty at the time. I had this old platoon leader. He was an officer, um, and he was very conservative very conservative and used to drive him insane how you know socialist i thought i was yeah and so just to drive him nuts i would post like little sticky notes on his door in the morning like something really communist like this the worker has nothing to lose but his chains or something like that you know and i just leave that on his door <laughs> and he would get so mad classic at that's um, yeah that's beautiful <laughs> but uh you know so having you know i you know so i was in that world for a lot of years mm-hmm. um and so i understand that perspective. Yeah. But you know, since I've, I, my, my beliefs have, have changed yeah. since I was in high school, you know, because I think a lot of us do, you know, the things that we thought to be true in high school. Yeah. When you're 30 plus, you realize that, Hey, you know, it turns out I didn't know everything about the world when I was 16 years old. Exactly. Yeah. I thought I did. Yeah. I didn't. Well, and then, <laughs> and then the thing about, about, uh, that kind of a thought too is like, now I realize that I don't know anything even currently. You know what I mean? I'm only smart enough to know that I'm stupid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's like, a great way to put it. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like Imagine I still, how smart we'll be in another 30 years. I know. <laughs> I know. It's just, uh, it's, oh man, it's interesting getting, getting older. Um, oh, I'll tell you my, my oldest just turned 13. That's so crazy. And I, I gotta you have tell a teenager. you, I know, I, um, my wife and I are always joking is, you know, cause mentally I still feel like I'm 14. You know, I feel very young. In yeah. My I feel very young. Yeah. Um, me too. and, uh, and even when I turned 30, it didn't, it, it didn't ever even occur to me that I was getting old. Yeah. Um, but then my son turned 13 and it was like a gut check. Yeah. Holy crap. I've got a teenager. Yeah. And you know, he loves to remind me, you know, dad, in three years I'm going to be driving. <laughs> do you see a lot of uh a lot of him like the way he acts do you see a, a lot of uh how you used to be oh yeah yeah oh yeah you know um and it's funny you know all three of my kids are so different yeah so different um but my oldest is a lot like me and a lot like cassie you know he is a and I, and I think that's one of the most frustrating things too, you know, cause our parents always say like, Oh, this is going to come back on you. I hope you have a kid just like you, <laughs> you know, but it's so true. Yeah. It is so true because my oldest is just like me. He's got the world figured out. Yeah. You know, he has got the game. He, you know, he's got the secret to the game. He's got the cheat codes to the, to the yeah. game of life. And he's, and he's just, you know, he's doing his own thing, yeah. you know, and I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, I am the most uncool dude. I mean, and, and that, that part he's right about, you know, but he just, you know, he likes to make fun of me and I don't know a thing. And so when I tell him, you know, son, I didn't do very well in school, not because I was dumb, but because I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And Same. I thought it was dumb. Same Z's. Yeah. yeah I, I thought it was dumb. I was like, <laughs> yeah. why am I going to do this? This yeah. is lame. Yeah. And then I get to 18 years old and I realize, oh snap. 
<laughs> I, maybe I should have yeah. applied myself a little more, yeah. right? you know, hindsight yeah. being what it was. And so I try to tell them, you know, you try to pass on, you know, those lessons learned so they don't have to get those knocks. But they're like, but my oldest is a lot like me and a lot like Cassie and that he's just kind of like, no, nah, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. And so, you know, um, he's going to, you know, he's, he's taking his licks and, he, you know, I have great yeah. kids, um, yeah. and, but they're all very different. And yeah. So, yeah, there's uh the one of the um surgeons I work with was talking I think he had three sons also. Uh you have three sons? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um he was saying that uh the the lesson that he learned from um having three sons is that you have absolutely no control over the people they become. Yeah. They're all their own like he he was like you can kind of try and guide them but they're basically just going to be like who they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I uh I'm a uh heavy metal rock guy, you know, and I, and I'm not very, I don't deviate from that very much, you know, <laughs> yeah. I stay pretty much specifically under that little spectrum of music that I listen to. And, uh, and so I'm pretty sure my oldest, you know, became a, a rap fan, uh, on purpose, to, to spite you. just to yeah. spite me, you know? Yeah. So half his phone is filled up with Lil something, <laughs> Lil fill in the blank, yeah, you know, yeah. but I, it, it, I don't listen to music cause I think music these days suck, yeah. which just, Goes I mean, I, I like rap music. I just don't like today's rap music. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I hear yeah. a lot of people our age, you know, say that, you know, yeah. we, we grew up or, you know, in the days when, you know, rap used to be good. Yeah. And now I don't understand the face tattoo thing. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it. I just don't get, you know, maybe yeah. that's a generational thing. I'm starting yeah. to, I'm, I feel like I'm about to yell at someone to get off my lawn. Maybe it's just us getting old, but I, I don't yeah. get it, yeah. you know. And so my my uh, my oldest son turning into a, a rap fan, you know, is probably the ultimate irony. Yeah, because I've been talking trash about <laughs> rap darn near my entire adult life. So, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. And just like you said, yeah, I'm gonna let him do his thing. Yeah. And uh, his job is to drive you crazy. It is, and yeah. he's doing it. And he is he excels at his job. Yeah. Um, you know, because I know when I was younger, I would find the god the fastest, the heaviest, the most, you know ridiculous heavy metal that I could find just to drive my mom nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. I think there's a little splinter is still in her that, you know, I still listen to it, you know, yeah. but, um, but yeah, no, that's exactly what, what he's supposed to do. And yeah, he's doing a good job. Yeah. Keeps, keeps you in check a little bit. Yeah. It keeps me young. Cool. <laughs> um, so we're, we're right about an hour, which is uh, what I normally keep it at. Um, but do you have a, like a website to plug or anything like that? Yeah. Um, our website is a www.hamplesecurityconsulting.com. Okay. Uh, Hample Security Consulting. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I, I do yeah. most of the big social medias. I've noticed so. um, you're, you're really good on Facebook about uh, when events are happening, sort of putting out um, well, I haven't seen it so much anymore, but it, for a while you were just like putting out uh, big events that were happening like overseas and stuff, just like facts. Yeah. I really liked that. Like there was no opinion like attached to it. Yeah. It was just kind of like, this is happening right now. This is happening right now. It was kind of cool. It was funny because I used to, uh, a lot of my soldiers used to tell me that the only news they ever got was from me. Yeah. yeah they didn't pay attention to the news, but we were, they were friends on Facebook. And so whenever I would, share or just discuss something going on in the world. I was the only outlet of news yeah. they ever got, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and so that's something that we, we do try to do whenever there's a big event, you know, I'll either write something, you know, like an opinion piece or, uh, like you said, just try to put out some facts and mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Yeah. Um, and really it's just, it's just to keep, you know, the security aspect and, 
you know, in people's, in people's minds and let them know that sometimes it is easy to get, to forget that there is a world outside of what's two feet in front of us. Right. And yeah. you know, it doesn't always directly affect us, but it can, you yeah. know, and especially if, you know, when people are suffering across the world, you know, I, there may not be anything I can do about it, but it, it, a, it helps me appreciate what I have. Yeah. You know, if I know that, you know, I, you know, I go to church every Sunday and going to church for me is very easy mm-hmm. there. I, I never ever wonder if this Sunday that I go to church, if my church is going to get blown up right? or yeah. <clears throat> specifically because of my faith, if I'm going to get picked out and have the crap kicked out of me on the street, right? you right. know, because those things we just don't see them. Yeah. Really, in any sort yeah, of prevalence. I don't think people really understand how awesome we have it here. Yeah, like, especially yeah. our generation, the millennial generation is yeah. like we have it great. Yeah. And so to go overseas and see the way people live and and living in fear for whatever reason, you know. And then I so I just try to put put that out, you know, without trying to shove it down your throat. Mm-hmm. Just remind people, you know, that hey, you know, be thankful that we have it really good here. Yeah. This is this living in the states in America <clears throat> at this point in history is probably the best time and place that throughout the entirety of human history that anyone could live. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Whether yeah. it's uh, health, you know, all the mm-hmm. health things that we have, the wealth, the quality of life, yeah. the standard of living, we are living better now than anyone yeah. has ever there's, lived. And there's so. a statistic I heard um, that I, f- I found pretty interesting that um, to be in the top 1% of the wealth in the entire world, um, you only have to make about $32,000 a year. Yeah. And then you're in the top 1% of the world, which is like crazy, right? Yeah. I mean that just that statistic alone really should kind of put things in perspective of how awesome things are here, you know? Yeah. Perspective is that, that that's the yeah. word I was going to go with too. Perspective yeah. is a big thing. Yeah. Cause back when I was in my twenties, uh, you know, the United States was just a tyranny. Yeah. And, yep. <laughs> you know, like I, I, it was just, uh, you know, the, globalism was happening and like all this all this like uh conspiracy theory stuff Mm -hmm. you know and and then it was yeah just kind of time and sort of actually looking at things trying to have perspective while you look at things then i've kind of grown into really appreciating where we live and and uh and all that so well uh thank you again for sitting down with me yeah, thanks um, for having me, man. This, this was a, a, this was really fun. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of awesome information. I'm uh, actually looking forward to editing this just so I can, you know, re-listen to it. So yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, man. This is the first time I've done this, so yeah. Uh, thanks for taking it easy on me. Cool. <laughs> thanks, All right. Dusty. Yep. All right, friends, and that's the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thanks for coming back and listening every week. It's kind of cool to see the numbers grow. Um, not like they're growing super fast, but we get a few new listeners every week, which is kind of cool. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to hear anything discussed on the podcast, please go to my website, which is dustytunnel.com, tunnel spelled with two L's, and uh, hit the contact link in the upper right corner and uh, shoot me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can, or I'll get you on the podcast as soon as I can. I'll bring you down to San Diego, put you up in my spare room, give you a beer or two, and we'll have a great time if you'd like to do that. Uh, Please uh, visit Brian Hample's uh, security firm, HampleSecurityConsulting.com. Check it out, especially if you own a business or you know somebody who owns a business. 
that could use services like that. He's a really stand-up guy, and I'm sure he does a wonderful job at uh, securing businesses and schools and things like that. And that's about it. Uh, Until next time, love you guys. Bye.